Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Build Podcast. I'm Kyle Poyer, VP of Market Strategy here at OpenView, where I help software companies accelerate growth and master my favorite area, pricing and packaging. That's why this season on Build, we're talking all about the art and science of pricing. Each week, I sit down with operators and experts to hear their pricing insights and experiences firsthand and answer some of our listeners' most burning pricing questions. Now on with the show. On today's episode of Build, I sat down with Andy Wilson. Andy is the founder and CEO of Logical, a Series B legal tech startup and OpenView portfolio company that's revolutionizing how lawyers handle document discovery. We discuss pivoting from services to software as a service, disrupting your own pricing model, and why your mission should drive your pricing strategy. Andy, thanks for joining us. Could you give the listeners a quick overview about yourself and about Logical? Yeah, sure. Happy to be here, Kyle. My name is Andy Wilson. I'm founder and CEO of Logical. been in this seat now for 15 years. We originally started as a services company based in D.C., in 2004, migrated the company out to San Francisco in 2011 to pivot into SaaS. And so what does Logical do? It helps organizations like Walmart and City of New York and hundreds of law firms around the world reduce the time and cost of disputes, investigations, and records requests typically by 80 to 90%. So things like litigations, internal investigations, and Freedom of Information Act requests. And you touched on it briefly, but you know it's super interesting story that you started as a services company and actually you know it was super profitable, very successful, but yet made the scary decision to pivot from service <laughs> to software as a service. Could you take us back to that period and talk about why you made the transition? <laughs> yeah, TBD if it was a good decision because it was a highly profitable business at the time. We went from profitable to intentionally unprofitable as a SaaS company. The business was largely services, but we had built a software that would essentially process hard drives and hard drives of data. And then we would package it up and send it back on hard drives to our customers, right? And that was the game. You know, people would ship us hard drives, we'd process it with our software, and then we would ship it back and we would charge uh, a fortune for that, sometimes millions of dollars. And, you know, we'd work, you know, for some of the largest companies in the world and large law firms. Well, we realized during the recession is this was humans doing what should be a digital process end to end. You know, why is it that people are shipping us hard drives when they could just do this themselves? And what would it take for people to do this themselves? And so we realized we could do that. You know, we could actually build this software to be self-service, make it drag and drop easy, put it in the cloud, and basically automate ourselves out of the entire process. And you know, if we weren't going to do that, somebody else would. Well, and, you know, let's paint the picture for listeners. What did pricing look like back in the services days so they can get a comparison? So we charged a data processing fee, usually ranging from $2,500 to $5,000 per gigabyte. Just a little bit different from AWS. <laughs> Just a little bit. So, you know, when those terabyte hard drives came in, it was a good day. And then, you know, as you pivoted to software as a service, you know, this would have been probably your first foray into pricing a SaaS product. How did you think about pricing in those early days and finding product market price fit? So we did a ton of user interviews, you know, probably over 100, and trying to understand, 
you know, what people were paying for these services, because we ended up actually automating so much that previously were purchased a la carte. And that proved to be one of the biggest challenges because we built this platform or software that took all these different things and put them all into one. And how do you price that? How do you make it you know, easy for people to, to buy it when they're paying for these various services in an a la carte fashion? And we just tried stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was pretty simple. You know, let's try subscription combinations of user fees and project fees and data fees and feature gating and those things to, you know, see ultimately what the market wanted. Well, and I find it interesting that you ran, you know, 100 plus interviews back in those days. I guess, what would be your advice for other SaaS founders launching new products when they're conducting interviews? What should they be asking? How can they be getting pricing insights out of those conversations? Yeah, trying to find willingness to pay can be uh, pretty tricky. And there's actually a good book. I think you and I talked about this, Monetizing Innovation, that gives you a couple of tips on you know, questions that you should ask. And I, I wish I had read that book when I was doing this because I know I, I made some of the mistakes of, how much do you want to pay for this? <laughs> That's the wrong question to ask. I think the right questions you know, to simplify it are, you know, at what price point does this get too expensive where you wouldn't consider it? And, you know, at what price point is this too cheap where you wouldn't trust it, right? And at what price point do you think this is a bargain? If you ask those three questions, I think you will get somewhere, you know, into the Goldilocks range of pricing. And if you target who you think your ideal customers are, which I think is a really important part of this because you don't just want to grab random people off the street, you'll learn a lot more and you'll get a lot more accurate data about what people are willing to pay. Well, that's a great plug. We're actually going to have Madhavan, the author of Monetizing Innovation, on another episode of the podcast. So unintentional plug. <laughs> great, great book. I highly recommend it. So one thing I'm asking all the guests of the season is, you know, when did you catch the pricing bug and realize the importance of pricing in SaaS? We caught the pricing bug pretty early. So look at it from like what's easiest to change, especially in the early days. I mean, these days it's easier to you know, change your product, but it's much easier to change a pricing page, you know, and, and put that out on the market and see you know, what people will do and do testing with that than, you know, trying to create a new feature and see if people will buy it. So we caught it pretty early. And I mean, we've run dozens of pricing experiments over the years. We've slowed down. <laughs> In the early days, we were probably running a pricing experiment every month. And to me, I see some companies and, you know, the founder kind of came up with pricing just from a 30 minute meeting and then hadn't changed things for three to four years. You guys took the opposite MVP approach. Let's test, let's iterate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we still test. We're running a test right now. Well, so actually that leads me to the next question. So for several years, you had success selling, you know, the typical SaaS model, the annual subscriptions paid up front. And then you kind of got the thought that maybe we could disrupt this model. What gave you the conviction that it was time to try something new and shift towards more of a pay-as-you-go approach versus the tried-and-true annual subscription? This is a big eureka moment for us. And in hindsight, we you know, look like complete morons <laughs> because we didn't realize that we were in a pool market, right, where the market is pulling us, where they're signing up for our service. And yet we were trying to push a model onto the market that, you know, that they didn't really want. And that was this annual you know, subscription pricing, which is what I think a lot of SaaS companies fall in love with, because who doesn't want 
an annuity, right? Uh, recurring annuities is an amazing business. It compounds and you can predict the future and solve slumpiness problems in your revenue, et cetera. And who doesn't want that? So it's very alluring. But, you know, if your customers don't want that, then you should make changes. And we came to the realization that our customers don't know how much they need to buy. You know, they're in a event-driven buying model, right? Discovery is this unknown event. Like, you don't know when you're going to get sued. You don't know when the next internal investigation is going to happen. And trying to procure software for this unknowable event is problematic for a lot of people. And so we had this idea of, okay, the market's just not ready to buy software. The market is still in this services mindset. Well, how can we satisfy the market's demand? And we came up with this pay-as-you-go pricing model that did exactly that. So I'm sure there's some listeners that are thinking, you know, do I have a model that is not working? <laughs> I just don't know it. And I'm sure everyone gets feedback of, I wish this were priced differently. I wish I could pay you differently. What was the data that really gave you the conviction that it was worth actually disrupting the business and moving towards a new model? Sure. So it started with just looking at the closed lost opportunities in Salesforce and looking for trends of why did we lose this opportunity? You know, some of these just didn't make any sense. You know, the customer was so interested and the value is clearly there, but we didn't win the deal. Was it a sales rep problem? Was it a product issue? Were we selling to a Nina and not a real buyer? So the trend started to point us in the direction that the pricing fit was the problem. We took that hypothesis and went to some of these closed lost opportunities and we conducted a couple surveys you know with these customers and asked them more details you know about why they didn't buy you know and we weren't asking them about hey would you rather buy this on a pay-as-you-go model we didn't ask them that directly we weren't thinking that way but out of that qualitative information it became really clear that they just don't have a way of procuring software they're used to buying services and they will spend money for services but they can't spend money for software as easily as they can for services so a model that maps really well with that was utility pricing, you know, Uber-like model or Twilio-like model, you know, this pay-as-you-go pricing model could satisfy that need. And so we came up with this test and said, all right, well, we're going to try this out for a month and see how it goes. And we went back to some of those closed loss opportunities and said, hey, we now have a model that we think will make sense for you. Does this work? And I remember calling this GC at this publicly traded healthcare IT company who I'd been trying to sell a subscription to for a year. That would have saved them so much money because litigation is incredibly expensive and he wouldn't buy it. And when I pitched him on this pay-as-you-go model, he signed up in 30 minutes and they ended up spending close to $100,000 in their first year under that model. Wow, so yeah, that certainly is a great proof point. <laughs> well, and then you alluded to this, that there's a lot of pressure on SaaS companies to keep with the tried and true that you know annual annuity predictable subscription where you can predict the future and it corresponds with all the great SaaS metrics really well. With trying a new approach, what were some of the impacts that it had to the business? How did you need to change things in order to adapt to this new model? Oh man, going from annual contracts that are mostly prepaid to consumption <laughs> is night and day different. I mean, think about it, you know, with an annual contract, yes, your sell cycles are typically longer depending on your ACV and industry and whatnot, but you have 365 days to build a relationship and fix issues that come up, right? With a consumption model, you have maybe 24 hours. 
So everything has to change. You know, you have to invest more into a great onboarding workflow. You've got to invest more into simplification because if that first experience with your product or your service is not a major wow moment for them, they're not going to come back. So everything has to change. And then, of course, all the unit economics that you measure are out the window. You know, how do you measure churn? How do you measure lifetime value? How do you measure customer acquisition costs? These are all non-obvious questions when you move from a traditional SaaS business to a consumption business. What was it like to you know have that conversation, the first board meeting post pay as you go or the first investor conversation? Well, we had some data, you know, it wasn't like we were just randomly trying stuff. We had done the work and we had a pretty good hypothesis around, you know, why this was the right move and how we were going to control the test to make sure that if it didn't work, we could reverse course. And within one month of trying it out, we had enough data and conviction to continue with it. I mean, we went from around five to 10 customers a month in terms of acquisition to almost five to 10 new customers a day when we switched over to consumption. So that was meaningful. I think the biggest thing that I was trying to represent to the board was the bigger why, like, why are we here? Why did we start this company in the first place? That was more of the mission statement of, hey, we wanted to democratize this process of discovery. And by forcing a model of subscription first into the market when that's not what they wanted was counterproductive to that mission. Something I've been really impressed about with Logical is how you put the mission ahead of the business model and how you approach pricing and a bunch of other decisions that impact the company. Can you talk more about Logical's mission and how that impacts your decision making? Sure. So the mission of Logical is to democratize this process of discovery. And discovery is just a process of finding the unknown. And so in our world, that's you know, litigations, internal investigations, et cetera. And the unknown today is data volume. You know, we all know that data is growing at an exponential rate. It's not slowing down. Well, the signal within that data isn't necessarily growing at an exponential rate as well. So that makes it really hard for legal teams, investigative teams to, you know, find this signal if this noise is just growing and growing and growing. And so Logical's job is to cull that noise to the side, which makes it much easier to find the signal. That's important because in today's world, to get access to justice, you need to have access to data. And if access to data is too expensive in time or cost, then your access to justice is at risk. You know, deadlines are real. Those things have not changed for legal teams. If anything, they've gotten shorter and that's causing a lot of stress. So Logical is alleviating a lot of that and giving more and more people access to data and therefore access to justice. So that's the mission. But how does that relate to you know, pricing strategy? I think it's important for founders to always put that mission ahead of everything else. And if you can do that, then you can come up with the right strategy to achieve that mission. You can come up with the right culture that you need to execute on that strategy. And pricing is just a part of that strategy, right? Like for us, we realized, man, we were just putting our business model ahead of the belief. You know, we wanted contracts, recurring contracts. We wanted the business model to succeed, the SaaS business model. And that was blocking our mission from being achieved because you know people that needed our service couldn't buy it because they couldn't afford an annual subscription. 
That's a great point. And I think that's where a lot of the really disruptive ideas should start with, you know, that customer and the vision for the business. I want to go back to a point that you made earlier around what was able to make pay as you go successful. And in an annual subscription world, you have 365 days to build that relationship with a customer. And in pay as you go, you have to do it almost immediately. And it's interesting that you say that because Logical is a much easier to use product than the kind of legacy products that had existed in the market and that people are used to. But yet, even still, you talked about needing to get you know even easier to use. What have been some of the things that you've done to try to drive sort of that that user adoption and that great initial experience with the customer? That's a great question. And we're still hard at work on it, honestly. But you're right. You go from 365 days of building a relationship, fixing things along the way to 24 hours. And if you don't make an impact with that customer in 24 hours, you know, it's that age old saying, right? You're never going to get a second chance at a first impression. So everything has to change. You know, the way that you onboard customers has to change because now you don't have 365 days to walk them through all the different modules of the product. You have to get right to pain, right? Where are they experiencing the most pain and how is your product going to solve that pain as fast as humanly possible? And that's a non-obvious thing when you're selling across all verticals of all sizes and different user types like us. We have customers all over the place. So trying to pinpoint that pain and then show them how they can use that in the product is really tricky. And then how do you support that customer? You know, we invested heavily into really awesome customer support representatives that are available 24-7. And they have a median response time of under two minutes for all customers around the world. And we did that intentionally because we wanted to have this mind-blowing, you know, first user experience. Because if you can wow them in the beginning, you know, the chances that you'll get another shot at their business in the next 24 hours go up. Yeah, and I think that also connects to your mission again of democratizing this process that would be archaic and complicated and slow and expensive and, you know, having really amazing support is just a part of that. That's right. That's exactly right. You had talked about earlier, especially in the early days, you tried a lot of stuff <laughs> when it comes to pricing. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies are really hesitant to try new things with pricing. They're really afraid to test that like they would test a different part of their business. What advice do you have for others around testing and iterating on your pricing strategy? What I've learned around testing is you want to isolate the time at which you want to do this test. You can't think of it like A-B testing is you probably won't have enough customers to test with. I mean, some B2B apps maybe are different and they just have an enormous amount of customers they can do this kind of testing with. But I think most people don't. And A-B testing might give you inconclusive results. I think a lot of it's going to have to come from you know, just what your gut is telling you. But you know, time bound it, 30, 60, 90 days, maybe you want to do a quarter. And then you know, try and control one variable. As you start to introduce more variables into a pricing experiment, it's going to be harder and harder for you to understand what is working and what's not working. And that's basically it, you know. Well, and, you know, without being able to do a true A-B test, what are some of the things that you do to better understand if it's working? Who do you talk to? What data do you look at? It depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. You know, if you're trying to grow revenue faster, and the way that you're thinking about doing that is tweaking some variable. might be you're trying to fix retention with your pricing. Honestly, Kyle, it really depends what you're trying to control. Yeah, very fair. So design sort of that method of evaluating the test based on what you're trying to achieve with the pricing change. Yeah, it's like a science experiment. 
you know, you've got a hypothesis and you're really trying to prove yourself wrong, not right. And then final question for you, what's one SaaS company that you really admire from a pricing and packaging standpoint? I think Atlassian does a phenomenal job. Did you know you can go to Atlassian right now and buy a half a million dollars worth of software without talking to a single person? (laughs) I don't think I have a half a million dollars to spend on software, but that's pretty amazing. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. I I read all these S1s of companies that go public and Atlassian, I'm pretty sure it still has the highest dollar based retention of any SaaS company. I think it's like 250% which is just nuts. And I think they're able to do that because they have such a clever and customer-focused pricing strategy where you can start bundling more and more of these Atlassian products together, thereby you know, increasing your contract value. Yeah, getting in with a really low entry price, self-service, and then making it really seamless to expand to more products and more people using the products. That's right. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining the podcast, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for tuning in to The Build Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time. <laughs>